0: Uh, Well, well, as Phil already mentioned, um, we're going to be talking in this series about death and dying, a subject that's not comfortable for us, but that we really do need to delve into. And so because I want to start this morning with the passage that we'll walk through, it's in James chapter 1. If you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 1. If you're not as familiar with your Bible, it's kind of towards the back. It's one of the last books of the New Testament. We're going to go through James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And so if you don't have a Bible, you can see already the verses will be up on the screen as I read them for us now. James chapter one, verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything this is god's word and as phil mentioned what we're doing in the series it's this week and the three weeks that follow we're talking about death as we talk about death we're, we're talking about something that in our culture we don't do well we don't talk about well we're uncomfortable with it we don't really approach it very well Um, I often say uh, when I get to do memorial services that how we deal with death in the United States in the 21st century, we feel like we're caught between two bad options, and those options are denial and despair. We either live our lives just sort of denying the reality of death that's a long ways away and maybe people I'm really close to haven't died yet and I'm just not going to think about it. or we say, I am gonna think about it, I'm not gonna pretend it's not there, but I'm gonna go into despair because the reality of death just means there's no hope in life. We feel caught between two bad options when it comes to death, and in our culture, we're just kinda not sure what to do. We don't have a plan for how to deal with this, which seems strange, because most of us know the stats on death. You know, many of us check our weather app every day or We check our weather app the night before. I, I always do this. I check the night before to see, all right, what, what should I plan on wearing. And if you see that there's even, especially in SoCal, if you see that there is a 40% chance of rain, it utterly changes your entire approach to the day. You're like, all right, I got to change the clothes. I got to dig out that umbrella. You, you wear a cap or wear a hood. I, I got to get ready because there's a 40% chance that I'm facing rain, so I should be prepared. The stats of death are much higher than 40%. This should not, and when I say this shouldn't take us off guard, I'm not saying that there obviously are deaths that are very sudden and take us off guard. I'm not saying that. Just saying we should be prepared for the fact that this is a reality and we are not doing ourselves any favors by being surprised or taken off guard or not knowing how to deal well with the reality of death. And for the three weeks that follow this Sunday, we're going to be talking really specifically, going through passages in the Bible that talk about, that that give us a concept of how we as Christians approach the subject of death. But today, for this first week, we're actually going to take a step back and say, you know, the, the problem why we have such a difficult time with death is because we have such a difficult time with suffering in general. So for this first week, we're going to speak more broadly just about a Christian understanding of suffering. And I think we don't suffer well in our culture because we have, and part of this is a blessing, we have solved a lot of problems in our culture. Our lives are very, very good. Whether it's medically, whether it's technology, whatever it is, we have made our lives much easier to the point that our expectations are pretty sky-high of how good our lives are going to be. I'd say it's likely every one of us in this room, we expect to live into our 70s or 80s or maybe even further than that. That's just baseline expectation. If we have kids, we expect them to go through their childhood healthy. We're thrown off when that doesn't happen. We see it as the exception, not as the rule. We don't suffer well, and you know, maybe the greatest evidence for this is how absolutely bent out of shape we can get over simple inconveniences in life. The shower water isn't hot. I've been waiting like 30 seconds and it's still not hot. <laughs> or the biggest one is if you spent a couple minutes and the Wi Fi still isn't working, we lose our minds. We don't know what to do with ourselves. We are not accustomed to suffering, and because we're not accustomed, to suffering, we don't tend to deal well with it. A couple times this morning, I'm, I'm gonna quote from a book by Tim, Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And I wanna read the first quote from it now. He says, in older cultures and in non-Western cultures today, suffering has been seen as an expected part of a coherent life story, a crucial way to live life well and to grow as a person and a soul. But the meaning of life in our Western society is individual freedom. There is no higher good than the right and freedom to decide for yourself what you think is good. Cultural institutions are supposed to be neutral and value-free, not telling people what to live for, but only ensuring the freedom of every person to live as he or she finds most satisfying and fulfilling. But if the meaning of life is individual freedom and happiness, then suffering is of no use. In this worldview, the only thing to do with suffering is to avoid it at all costs, or if it's unavoidable, manage and minimize the emotions of pain and discomfort as much as possible. We're in a culture now where we look at suffering not as a normal part of life that shapes and grows us, but it's something that is of no use. So when we respond to it, maybe we're going to be really upset. When we respond to it, maybe we're just going to try to gut it out and get through it as quickly as possible. Or when we respond to it, maybe we're going to get so depressed that we don't know how to handle life. But we don't seem to have a view of suffering that says, this is of use. Now, this seems probably like a lot of bad news to start the sermon. This is not a real upper for all of us right now. So I wanna give you a piece of really good news. And here is the good news. As Christians, we are uniquely situated. We have unique resources. We are uniquely positioned to deal well with death and suffering. And just to clarify what I mean by this statement, when I say Christians, I don't just mean those who are a part of the world religion, those who aren't Jews or Muslims or atheists, I mean, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord. Those who, by the sacrifice of Jesus, have been forgiven and cleansed, those who, by the resurrection of Jesus, have hope beyond this life, Christians are uniquely positioned to deal well with death and suffering. And as we walk through James, chapter one, verses two through four, we're going to see a grid for how we approach suffering well. And the first thing that James is gonna tell us about suffering in verse two is he's gonna talk about the attitude towards suffering. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you hear the attitude that he talks about? Consider it pure joy, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And you, you even see the brothers and sisters in there. He's speaking to believers. He's not just speaking broadly to people. He's saying, all right, as believers, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And let's just take a moment and be real with each other. This is not our instinctive response. There may be lots of responses. I'm not saying there's only one way that we normally respond to suffering. Sometimes we get mad at God. Sometimes we're in a position where we just get really, really sad and we don't see any hope for ourselves. Sometimes we're in a position where we just try to gut it out and move through it as quickly as possible with the least amount of interruption as possible. But it's not normal for us to respond with joy by saying, this is a good thing. In fact, not only is it not normal for us to respond with joy, you might be sitting in here thinking, it's not just not normal, it's not possible. I mean, this is a pipe dream here. This is ridiculous. The idea that James would have the audacity to talk about this and say we should respond with joy, it seems impossible. In fact, maybe the only way that it's possible is if we had sort of a, an Eastern or a Buddhist approach to life and we said, you know what, life isn't real, suffering isn't real, everything that I experienced is just sort of an illusion, you know, so all right, so my kid is sick, well, that's all right, it's all an illusion, I'm unattached from anything in life. Well, so my spouse left me. It's all right. I'm just I'm just sort of living unattached and unconnected with life. I got fired from my job, it's all right, none of this really matters. If you have that view, then maybe you can look at suffering and say, that's fine. But when you read the old and the new testament, there is no way to get there. There's no way to get to the point that you're just unattached from the things of life. We pour out love to one another. We're connected with one another. In fact, when James says consider it pure joy, he's not saying that that is going to be our only response to trials. We will have grief, we will have mourning, we will have sadness because it affects people that we love. It affects the loss of things that we love. He's not saying that's not present as well, but he's saying consider it pure joy. And by the way, look at the rest of the verse. He says, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. You notice what he didn't say? If you face trials. Brothers and sisters, consider pure joy just in case it might happen to you. He says, whenever. This is a constant. Right now, some of you in this room, you are going through severe trials. Some of you in this room, you have just come out of a pretty severe trial. And you know what's true for the rest of us? It's coming. I don't mean to be a doubter, it's coming. And it's coming in different ways. We don't know exactly how it's coming. It, it's, it's more severe and it's more pointed for different ones of us. Some of us go through trials that kind of feel just like low-level trials that, are, that follow us for a long time. Others of us go through spikes of really intense trials. This is a reality of life. James doesn't say, you might go through this so you should be ready. He says, whenever. And not only that, here there's actually some great news. I, I love the last words of this verse. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It could be tempting to read this verse and say what James is saying is we should consider it joy when we suffer specifically because we've been obedient to Jesus. Maybe that's where we can have hope. We we can have hope that suffering is meaningful if I'm suffering specifically because of Jesus and because, you know, I I lost my job or I got demoted or, or passed over because I was taking a stand for my integrity in Jesus or I'm getting made fun of or I lost a family relationship because I stood strong to Jesus. Maybe we could believe that that suffering is meaningful. But James goes further. He says, trials of many kinds. Some of you right now are going through suffering that has to do with health. And I'll even go further. Maybe for some of you, the suffering that you're facing because of your health, you feel bad because you're like, it's kind of my fault in some ways. Like, I didn't take care of myself. Is that kind of trial? Is that kind of, does that count in what James is talking about right here? Trials of many kinds. Yeah, that counts. Some of you are going through financial difficulties, and again, maybe even in here, you're like, well, it's kind of my fault. We, we made some bad financial decisions. Others of you might say, well, it's not my fault, but I mean, I still have more than a lot of people. Is this a trial? Does this count in what James is talking about? Good news, it does count. Trials of many kinds, relational trials, internal struggles, all of the things that we face. James is saying, we have the opportunity to look at all of the different trials that we face and we're able to consider it pure joy. Even as we do that, while we think this might be impossible, we get a clue about this just in that first word, consider. James is not saying it's obviously pure joy. He's saying you've got to intentionally think of trials this way. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses this same word when in Philippians 3, he's talking about his life in Judaism before he became a believer in Jesus. And he's saying, wow, well, I was famous, and I was prominent, and I had wealth, and I had success in Judaism. But then he says, now that I've come to Christ, I consider all of that loss. I consider it loss. Where any other person would look at that and say, that's not a loss. That's really great. Being famous and successful in your career, having prominence, all that's really good. And Paul says, no, I think of that as loss, even though it's not obvious that it's loss. James is saying, think about it as joy, even though it's not obvious that it's joy. And what he's implying is that the reason we as Christians can think of our trials with joy is because there's something else going on. We know there's something else going on beneath the surface, and that's where he goes next in verse 3. He starts by saying, all right, there's an attitude that we have. It's not despair. It's not anger. It's actually joy. And then there's a reason why we can have that, because he says in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, Have joy, consider it all joy when you're facing trials of many kinds because you know, again, he's speaking to Christians, he's like, you should know this. You have the privilege, you have the position to know this because you know that the testing of your faith produces, and here's the payoff, perseverance. Perseverance, which doesn't just mean patience, like I gutted it out, I got through it and I survived. It is patience through the trial but it's also expectant hope through the trial. It produces perseverance. Now here's the, I I really hope you listen to what I'm saying right now because this part is really, really important. What James is saying, he's saying something foundational about how we as Christians view trials. He's not saying we view suffering as good. Suffering is not good. Suffering is a result of the fall. So it's not that suffering is good, But what James is saying is, at the base level, as Christians, we believe that there are things that are worse than suffering. As Christians, at a base level, we believe that there are things that are better than comfort. Comfort's not bad, but perseverance is better. Suffering's not good, but stagnation is worse. So it's not that your suffering is good. It's not that you should look at it and say, it's a good thing if somebody sins against me or if I have a disease or if I have financial struggles. Those aren't good things. But the result of perseverance is better than what we would have had without the trial. Perseverance is where we're heading. But, but let's go back to the beginning of the verse. Let's see how we got there. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Um, this, and this actually brings up a question that people debate in our culture right now. We, we all know, all right, we face tests, we face trials, we face difficulties. And the debate that goes on is, do these difficulties, do these reveal character or do they build character? Because we've had at least decades of parents and coaches saying, what? It builds character. You know, going around, it builds character. This discipline builds character. Does it build character or does it simply reveal character? Uh, When I was in high school, I I did water polo and swimming were the sports that I did. And I I think it's still this way, but in swimming in high school, the longest race is the 500-meter race. Which, if you've seen a high school pool, a 500-meter race is 20 laps. It is grueling. It's exhausting. Um, Now, you may be able to tell this by looking at me, but high school was a long time ago for me. (laughs) If I were to swim 500 meters today, the first thing that my 500 meter test would do is it would reveal. It would reveal I am not 17 anymore. It would reveal swimming's not really a part of my life, so my form is way worse than it used to be. It would reveal that I don't have the endurance to be able to do this. The first thing that the test would do is it would reveal But then, it would also do something else. You know what else it would do? If I did it consistently, it would build me up into being a better swimmer. If I kept doing it, my form would start to improve. My endurance would start to grow. Trials both reveal and produce. First, they reveal. You go through a tough time and suddenly you realize, wow, I'm not a patient person at all, apparently. Well, apparently, I'm incredibly entitled. First, it reveals. But then, as James says, it at least has the potential, it at least has the purpose of producing perseverance. We get there through the trial, they both reveal and they produce. But I do want to pause right now because, again, the whole basis of this, of saying, all right, suffering is bad, stagnation is worse. Comfort is good, perseverance is better. There might be some of you that are like, no, I'll take the comfort. <laughs> like, no, you know, like, I, I'm not doubting that perseverance is good, but, but really, I, I'm not sure I buy that it's better than the comfort. So I'll take the comfort and I'll pass on the perseverance. Um, And I have two responses that I want to say to this, if if that's what you're thinking right now. First of all, if that's what you're thinking, you're not crazy for going through that battle. But the first thing I want to say is this, um, you don't actually get to choose not to suffer. So you might even prefer, but I'm just saying, you don't actually get to choose. You get some level of choice, you don't get to choose not to suffer, suffering's coming for us all. So that's the first thing, you might as well prepare. Um, But the second thing is this, even if on the surface, we might think, no, I I prefer comfort to suffering. I I, I prefer comfort to perseverance. What I want to say is I don't think you do. I think on the surface you do. I, I think when it comes down to it, you actually prefer perseverance for at least a couple reasons. And the first reason is this, without the perseverance and the character that is built through trials, we are useless to people around us. We are useless to the people around us that we love, and I don't think we want to be useless. Imagine, it just as by way of illustration, imagine there's a burning building right back there. There's a burning building, and there's a family stuck inside, and right down here, we've got two firefighters. We've got firefighter one and firefighter two. And each of these firefighters has a different philosophy about suffering. Firefighter number one takes a hard stand on suffering. He says, you know what? No amount of suffering is acceptable. I don't know where God gets off. I don't know about this whole thing, but no amount of suffering is acceptable. We shouldn't suffer at all. And fireman number two says, I don't want to suffer more than anybody else does. But there are things that are worse than suffering. There's things that are better than comfort and there are things worth suffering for. Between fireman one and fireman two, which one's going into the burning building? And fireman two is going in. Fireman one is saying, no, suffering is legitimate. So why would he subject himself to suffering? Fireman two is saying, I don't want to suffer, but there's things worth suffering for. If you don't believe there are things worth suffering for, you will be useless to the people around you. We will be useless to our kids, we'll be useless to our friends, we'll be useless to, to our society. We don't want that. I think at the bottom line, we, we do. We say, all right, I, I don't want the suffering, but I do want the perseverance. But here's another reason why I think, at the end of the day, we do believe that perseverance is better than comfort. And it's because if we're believers in Jesus, then we have been exposed to the ultimate story that revealed how God brings beauty out of suffering. We've been exposed to the story of Jesus. We've been exposed to the deep, heart-rending suffering of Jesus, and we've seen God bring the ultimate good out of that because none of us would be forgiven. None of us would be adopted. None of us would have the hope for eternal life if not for the profound suffering of the Son of God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the author of Hebrews says something profound about this. And and in many ways, it parallels what James is saying here. But he's speaking about Jesus, and he says, he endured the cross. He endured crucifixion. Endurance and perseverance, we're we're talking about basically the same thing here. He endured the cross. And by the way, if you know the story, did Jesus want the cross? Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, Jesus spent the night before this sweating so much that it says it was like sweat, his sweat was like drops of blood. He was so stressed out. Jesus prayed to the Father about this, and to paraphrase his prayer, what he said is, if there's any other way for us to do this, let's opt for that. Jesus did not go into this saying, I can't wait to suffer. Jesus didn't want to suffer, but he endured suffering. And the author of Hebrews tells us why. He says, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. Just like James, the author of Hebrews, talks about endurance and joy, perseverance and joy. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. You know why he went to the cross? For the joy set before him. He saw a result. He saw an effect that was going to happen. And as much as he didn't want to suffer... He was willing to suffer because there was something else that he really didn't want, even more than that. The thing he really didn't want is for human beings created in the image of God to be left out of the family of God forever. He didn't want us to have to die for our own sin. He didn't want us to remain condemned in our sin. We as Christians believe in the ultimate way, God brought the ultimate good out of suffering because the son of God said, I don't want to do that. But what I do want is to invite sinful men and women into the family of God. So I will endure the cross for the joy set before me. Thank God Jesus valued something more than his own comfort. Thank God he did. We are welcomed into the family of God by faith. And so we might look at that and say, All right, right, I I guess I get that. I I, I do want to be useful. I want to be useful to people around me. I I don't want to just be stagnant. I want to be useful, so I'm willing to go through the suffering. And I want to follow Jesus leading that. I I, I want to be willing to to go through the suffering. And here's the deal I don't want suffering. And you might be thinking right now, I don't want suffering. You're, You're right. None of us want suffering. I don't want suffering. But you know, I do want patience. I do. I, I want to be more patient with people. I, w- I want to be kind to them. I, I want to get over myself. I do want that patience. I don't want suffering. But I do want to be a more loving person. I want to love people deeply. I don't want suffering. But man, I want impact for Jesus. I want my life to matter. I want purpose and meaning in how my life goes forward. And I'm not getting any of those things without suffering. We go through suffering not because suffering is good, but we go through suffering because it is meaningful. And Tim Keller brings that out again in this book. Let me read you this quote. He says, Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, in other words, as opposed to fatalism, Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is overwhelming often unfair. But contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. God the Father, the good Father, is the one bringing the test. So I, I don't know if anybody's thinking this right now, but but I'll just start out there. Some of you might be thinking, all right, right now, I kind of want the advice without the Jesus stuff right now. Um, like, all right, I buy it. You're right. We, we will all suffer. I want to be ready to suffer. I guess I should face up to the fact that I will die, I will suffer. I should be ready for that. So I want the advice on how I do it, but I don't want all the Jesus stuff. And the news I want to say is, if we don't include the Jesus stuff, I have nothing helpful for you. If it turns out that there is not a good God at the center of this, that the tests aren't random occurrences, but are good gifts from God to shape us and conform us into the image of Jesus, I've got nothing for you. Jesus is at the center of our hope in this. As Christians, we don't just say in a grand karma way, we go through suffering because it makes us better people we say we go through suffering because the good God of the universe conforms us to the image of Jesus. And man, we'd rather have God than the comfort. We'd rather have closeness with him than the comfort. So we don't want the suffering, but we're not going to resist it. But the question that's still out there that James hasn't really dealt with in detail yet is the how. And you might be thinking, all right, I, 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 I'm there. All right, I, I, you know, I, I do want to have the joy in trials. I get that. And I, and I get the perseverance that there are things worse than suffering. I, I'm on board. How in the world do I live this, this way? And in verse 4, James gives us the path. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that you may be, in other words, conformed to the image of Jesus. So that you may be shaped into a person that reflects Jesus so powerfully that you're walking in closeness with the Holy Spirit and you're reflecting God to the world around you. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. And how we get there is by doing what he says at the beginning. Let perseverance finish its work. In other words, don't sabotage the process, cooperate with what God is doing through suffering so that it can have its effect, so it can finish its work. And, you know, there's probably a hundred of these, but let me just give you three ways that we cooperate when we suffer. The first way that we cooperate when we suffer is that we obey God through the suffering whether choosing to sin as a way to get out of it. Sometimes we go through trials and we know in the trial, we're like, man, I could end this trial right now if I just lied. I could end this trial right now if I just took revenge on this person and told them what I really think about them. Or maybe even in some way with the trial, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I could fix the trial. I don't know if I could end the trial, but I could make the trial a lot easier if I just started medicating myself with alcohol or with drugs or with pornography or with anger or with something else. I could fix this in some way by taking matters into my own hands. We cooperate when we choose obedience instead of sabotaging what God is looking to do through choosing sin. And there's a second way that we cooperate through the suffering. We cooperate through the suffering when we actively welcome discomfort instead of just waiting for it to happen. Um, I'll give you a couple examples. Right now, we are in the last rows. We are in the last moments of getting together our go teams for this summer. People who have willingly signed up for discomfort. Knowing their lives will be more difficult because of going on this trip than if they didn't, if they just stayed at home. Willingly welcoming discomfort. There may still be. In fact, I I gotta tell you, I don't know for sure. I believe there are. I believe there are some of you in this room that you have said, nope, not gonna do that. And even today, God's message for you is still, welcome the discomfort. Go and sign up. God has greater things for you through the discomfort than through the complacency. All of us, we're practicing Lent right now. You know what we've done? No, nobody's made you do Lent. Nobody's made you deprive yourself of something. Even as pastors, we're not policing people. We're not like, let's just check in. Have you drank any coffee? Did you go back on Facebook? Let's just find out. We, we don't know. That's not what we're doing. Nobody's making you do this. And yet, a lot of us are sacrificing something for Lent. And the reason that we're doing that is because we believe God works through our discomfort. We believe what we gain is greater than what we lose. And instead of just saying, all right, if God is going to bring the trial, I guess he's going to do what he's going to do. I'll deal with it then. We are actively welcoming discomfort in following Jesus. Frankly, if you were going to run a marathon, it would be really dumb to show up on the day of the marathon and say, let's see how this goes. (laughs) Marathon runners invite discomfort and run and train leading up to it. Some of us are not in deep trials right now. Man, we should be in training for them. We should be preparing for them by willingly welcoming discomfort, whether that's through spiritual disciplines, getting out of our comfort zone, serving at the church, giving up stuff for Lent. We should be in training for the trials that we face. That's another way that we cooperate. But the one, and I'll I'll spend a little bit of time on this third one because it might be the most important one. We cooperate in the process of God doing good in our suffering when we have our eyes open for what God wants to teach us through these trials. When instead of just saying, I guess I got to try to just wait this out, we open our eyes and say, God is at work. There's a divine tester. He's good. He's a good God. He's brought the trial for a reason. He has something to teach me, and I want to have my eyes open for it. Um, some of you know this story, or you, you at least know parts of this story, but when I was nine years old, my dad suddenly became paralyzed from the neck down. Um, it, it, the, it, there wasn't a car accident, there wasn't an impact, the doctors actually still don't know what exactly happened. Um, just one day he was walking, then by the end of the day, he couldn't move anything. Rushed to the hospital, in intensive care, he, he was in hospitals for about a year, um, j- just so because some of you are wondering how this all turned out. My dad is actually still with us. He's in his early 70s. He's still with us, but he's been in a wheelchair ever since this happened. But right at the front end of it, he was laying in a hospital bed, unable to move anything, basically except his eyelids. He had one of those charts where you'd wink and blink to, to spell out words. He couldn't talk. He was being fed through a straw. And I just want to share a couple of things that years later, my dad talked about with this time. And then the first thing that he said, I don't know if this first one is darkly comic, um, but he talked about the fact he had, he had a roommate, he had somebody else uh, on the other side of the hospital room. Um, And my dad was 40 when this happened, but this other guy was older, Um, but my dad remembered looking over at him and seeing that he was able to feed himself soup. And my dad was getting fed through a tube. And my dad talked about how jealous he was and how he was saying to God, if I could only be that guy. The self-pity, which is totally understandable, was leading him to envy his roommate. Um, and then that guy ended up leaving and he got a new roommate. And my dad didn't know why at first. And after a couple of days, he realized that the reason he got a new roommate is that guy he was so envious about was dead. My dad said, I was asking God to make me a guy that was about to die. And it made him realize just how deceptive envy and self-pity were. And so he decided to choose a different path in this. And there was a passage of scripture that I don't know if he had somebody read it to him or he just knew God's word enough that this came to mind. I want to read you this passage from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. It's a passage that says to all of us as Christians, look to add to your life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, look to add to your life these virtues. And my dad laying there in a hospital bed, unable to move and unable to talk, realized being paralyzed doesn't keep me from growing in any of these. I can grow in patience. I can grow in mutual affection. I I can grow in my love. I can grow in my perseverance. In fact, this trial may even give me some unique opportunities to grow in those ways. He realized that far from being useless as he was going through this trial, he could continue to pursue the godliness that God had set before him and that the trial he was going to was in no way getting in the way of that. In a deep, dark trial for my dad and for our family my dad pursued having his eyes open to what God was doing instead of moving into self-pity. And let me just add something else to this because this obviously was a horrific trial for my dad, a big trial for me and my brother and sister and my mom also. But one of the things that happens when you have your eyes open to what God is teaching you through the trial is you begin to see the blessings that God has brought that you never would have otherwise seen. And one of the things that happened was our church really came around us. Man, we were so loved by the people in our church. I remember that our pastor having special meetings with us. We had so many meals coming our way. We had people that would take my brother and sister and I and let us stay at their homes. We had dozens of people from the church coming out to the hospital for prayer and worship and for support for our family. and and I don't know if this is true. One of the things that I hope is true in the times that I get to speak up here is that you've picked up from me that I love the church, and I love the church. I love all of you. I love what the church of Jesus Christ is, and I'm absolutely convinced that one of the reasons that I love the church is because I was loved by God through the church when my family was in a dark time. In times of trial, part of what God is teaching us is to see the blessings that we took for granted and to glorify him and to be changed because of those. Man, I, I know some of you, man, you're, you're right in the heat of it right now. You're right in a trial that's heavy. You're suffering. You're going through difficulty. You don't want the easy answer. I, I don't want to give you the easy answer right now. And I'll even say, by the way, even talking about this stuff with my dad, I still grieve what my family lost through my dad's paralysis. Still, if God took me and said, we're going to go back to 1987, we're going to try this again. Dan, you get to choose paralysis or no paralysis. I don't know if this is a good thing. You know what I would have chosen? I would choose no paralysis because of the grief that we've experienced. And at the same time, even then, I know that choice is not right. I know God has brought more beauty out of this than would ever have happened if it hadn't happened. And you might be in the heat of trial right now, and I'm not gonna pretend that you can even see what God is doing right now, but the God who sent Jesus Christ to be sacrificed for us doesn't waste our trials, and us not seeing his purpose certainly doesn't mean that there's not a purpose. Man, Let's cooperate through the trials. Let's trust God through the trials. And as we do that, as we live in a way that says suffering is bad, but stagnation is worse. Comfort is good, but perseverance is better. When we live this way, we not only prepare ourselves to suffer well, but we shine the light of Jesus to the world around us. Let me, let me take, close our time in prayer now. Father, I do want to pray, especially for my brothers and sisters in here who are really struggling, who are grieved, who are angry, who are mourning because of death and loss and physical pain and financial difficulty. Father, I pray that right now your presence with them would be so acute, would be so powerful that they would know that they are loved by the good God. I pray that you grant them strength and perseverance to walk through this. Father, I pray that you shine the light of Jesus through all of us, that people who observe the way that we handle suffering would say, Jesus must really be worth it to them because they're hanging on to him through this. We pray that you lead us towards perseverance and towards the sign of Jesus and how we handle suffering and death as a community. And I pray this... In the name of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you on the rest of this Sunday.